0: Hello and welcome to People, Planet, Prosperity, a series of podcasts from Ipsos where we invite experts from inside and outside of our business to discuss the big environmental, social and governance challenges of the 2020s, where we ask them what they're doing to make sure their business is sustainable and how they're helping the world to successfully adapt to the changes going on all around us. Today, my colleague Leah McTiernan is speaking to Trixie Cartwright, our global lead for diversity and inclusion in our operations team, and the co-author of a groundbreaking new paper about how to sensitively and accurately collect data about gender across all the different cultures in the world.
1: Trixie? As a means of introduction, could you share a bit about your background, your experience and your current role
2: at Ipsos? Thanks, Leah. Yeah, sure. Uh, So I've been working in research for over 20 years and I've had a particular interest in methodologies and research on research. I worked for some time in Latin America, rolling out online research when internet was still in its infancy. And in the last few years, I've worked more on the operational side of the business across Europe, but also supporting our key global clients. More recently, I've been focusing on inclusion and diversity in research, and I'm really pleased to be moving into a full time role in this area where I'm going to be looking at building our knowledge and expertise in inclusion and diversity across the globe, providing guidance on how to ask questions in a respectful and inclusive way helping to understand where we need to grow our sample capabilities to ensure we're as representative of those groups that may currently be underrepresented, so that we can be more inclusive with the research that we do.
1: As you alluded to, Trixie, inclusion, diversity and equity have become increasingly important for governments, societies and brands in recent years. As it relates to market research, there has been a lot of discussion about how market research can be more inclusive, equitable and diverse. Broadly, can you speak to some of the conversations that you have been involved in in the past few years and why it is important to address this topic with the proper consideration?
2: Of course, as you say, this topic has become increasingly important and I've been involved with conversations with some of our key clients, many of whom are really focusing on this area. They're asking for our support on how to navigate this area in research, seeking guidance on the language they can use. They're also interested to understand how they can be more representative with the research that they do. Increasingly, we're seeing clients asking to have non binary gender questions, questions on race and ethnicity, and for some studies, other aspects of diversity, such as sexual orientation, physical or mental health. And they also want to balance their samples on these. There are a couple of key considerations. Firstly, ensuring that the questions are respectful to the respondents and that by asking these questions, we're not becoming too intrusive while ultimately aiming to be more inclusive. In addition, it's important to note that guidance can vary greatly from one country to another, both in terms of acceptability and also from a data privacy or legal perspective. As an example, there are about 70 countries where same-sex relationships are still criminalised. So asking about sexual orientation could be considered a safety risk for some respondents. And asking about race or ethnicity isn't acceptable in many markets. So just asking about this could be considered very sensitive or even racist. Very important things to know.
1: As we move to more specifics, you had a paper accepted to the International Journal of Market Research titled A Question of Gender, Gender Classification in International Research. What piqued your interest in this topic?
2: Yes, I'm really, really pleased that the paper's being published. I started looking at how we ask gender in market research back in 2016, And that was just after the UK market research society released guidance that the standard binary gender question of male female needed to be updated to account for those who do not identify on that gender binary. As a result of their guidance, we had to start looking at how we would do this and address it in different countries, we had questions from clients and researchers about this. Once I started to look into it, reaching out to many of our offices in Ipsos and speaking with some of the market research industry bodies, it became really clear that different countries were at very different stages of acceptance of a question like this and that the language used was not always consistent or understood and that there was really a need for further guidance. So that was really when my journey started and I've been working on it since and it's recently resulted in this paper.
1: So if we pause there, And start with, what are the differences in the definitions of sex, gender, sexual orientation, and perhaps even the differences between someone who sees themselves to be transgender versus someone who sees themselves to be non-binary? What are those differences? And then if you could add to that, do we have any information on the prevalence of individuals that see themselves to be non-binary?
2: Okay, so it's clear that there is some confusion here for people with some of these definitions. The terms sex and gender are often used interchangeably, and they're not always distinguished, even in legal documents. And it's important to understand the difference. The distinction between sex and gender is very important for those whose gender or lived experience does not align with their sex registered at birth. Sex is assigned and registered at birth based on biology. So really based on someone's reproductive organs and typically this is either male or female or sometimes intersex is also included. Gender is more culturally determined and is generally assumed based on the sex assigned at birth. And for most people, this is okay and it's true. However, for some people, as they develop, they may realize that they do not identify that way and start to express themselves differently. This is a good moment to speak about transgender and non-binary individuals. The terms transgender and non-binary are both umbrella terms. Transgender describes someone whose gender is not the same or does not sit comfortably with the sex that they were assigned at birth. And non-binary describes someone who does not identify with either the binary descriptors of male, female, or man, woman. They may, for example, have no gender or be gender fluid. The majority of the population are cisgender, their sex and their gender are the same. You asked about prevalence. There aren't many robust samples on this. However, in an international study that Ipsos ran across 27 markets back in 2021, the global average of adults that described themselves as something other than male or female was 1%, with a further 1% preferring not to answer. There was some variation across the countries but generally not reaching more than three percent however the younger population often showed higher numbers canada is the first country to have published data from their census on this topic with one in 300 canadians over the age of 15 identifying as transgender or non-binary both the ipsos study and the canadian census showed that the prevalence is higher among the younger population the canadian census showed that One in 100 young adults aged 20 to 24 identified as non-binary or transgender, compared to the one in 300 I just mentioned in the population. You also asked about sexual orientation. Gender and sexual orientation are often incorrectly conflated. Gender is personal and it's how we see ourselves, while sexual orientation is interpersonal and it's who we're emotionally, romantically, or sexually attracted to. Got it. It is really complex, isn't it?
1: And given the complexity you have just described, I'm sure you came across a lot of nuances or challenges that needed to be pragmatically addressed when determining a recommendation. What did you have to take into consideration?
2: Yes, uh, definitely. There have been many challenges and some that we don't yet fully know how to address or that we need to keep monitoring, as it's an area where things are continually evolving. Staying up to date is one of the challenges in itself, as markets are increasingly becoming more aware about the need for inclusivity and accepting of asking about aspects of diversity. So being representative is a challenge. Internationally, there are many markets where questions on non-binary gender, race or sexual orientation are not asked on their census, So there's no robust data to base a sample on. And in addition, respondents may not feel comfortable answering such questions and could potentially even disengage from a study. We also know that some underserved communities may be less inclined to take part in the research. We also need to be mindful that the terminology that's used is not always understood in the same way, translatable or used consistently from one market to another. For example, with race and ethnicity, In some markets, this specifically refers to the colour of someone's skin, whereas in other markets, it would be asking about someone's cultural heritage or their country of birth. It's also important that we adjust for any local nuances and ensure that what we ask is culturally acceptable and also take into account any data privacy laws locally. A lot to consider. So if I
1: come back to gender... I feel that as an industry we've been using gender as a proxy for sex when asking about and waiting for samples that were to be nationally representative. Knowing now that these constructs are very different, are there measurement challenges that still need to be overcome as it relates to gender?
2: In short, yes. Gender has been weighted to sex data on national censuses for years. A binary gender question to a binary sex question. For many people, their gender and sex is the same. However, it does mean there has been a potential inaccuracy in this data. And as we see from some of the numbers I shared earlier, it's likely to become an increasing challenge, especially among the younger population. We'll need to see if it further countries add non-binary gender questions to their census questionnaires. However, in the meantime, we need to accept that there is some inaccuracy or consider whether a different measure, such as sex, could be used.
1: And when would you recommend sex be used versus gender?
2: We need to ask sex if we need to know something biological about someone. So, for example, if we're doing a study where we really need to know what bits someone has, so we might be doing a health study on prostate screening or something like that, we would need to ask about sex. But generally, for market research, we would ask about gender. But then we come back to the reality of we don't have a census question that we can weight that data to. Understood.
1: I know a lot of the discussion in your paper was around how to appropriately ask a question of gender, especially considering international market research. Beyond asking the question correctly, are there other considerations that researchers should keep in mind when asking about gender?
2: There are many, but a couple that come to mind are routing. Routing is an area that I do really think does need consideration. It's important for researchers to consider whether they want to have any screening and routing on gender. And if so, are they including those non binary participants or potentially incorrectly screening them out of an interview or the analysis? For example, for a targeted study aimed at females, should the screening really be on other questions? for example, the usage of a product, rather than on the respondent's gender. We also need to think about providing guidance for interviewers. Interviewers will have been likely to have been trained to code someone's gender through observation. And it's really important that interviewers don't make any assumptions about someone going forward, whether that is on their gender, race, ethnic background. So they really need to always ask the question and not make any assumptions.
1: This has been a very insightful and valuable discussion, Trixie. Thank you for sharing your insights with us. In conclusion, do you have any final points or considerations?
2: Thanks, Leah. Yeah, I think the key point is to keep in mind that different countries and different parts of society are at different levels of acceptance and comfort with questions on many of the aspects of diversity. And we need to do our best to stay up to date with how this changes and evolves. Respondents are at the core of what we do. They all need to feel respected, engaged and valued for who they are. And we need to do our bit in ensuring that their experience when taking part in our research is positive.
1: Thanks again for joining me today, Trixie. This was very valuable. Thanks, Leah. You too.
0: Thank you for listening to People, Planet, Prosperity. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the News channel wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of the episodes in the back catalogue and get notified as soon as future episodes are released. Join us next month where we'll be taking a really close look at the findings from our International Women's Day survey.